Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. So this morning's sermon is entitled, Beginning the Year in Doxology. Doxology, that might sound like a a churchy word, right? Uh, Doxology uh, is a glory saying. A glory saying. It's usually a short statement of, of praise and I believe it's usually in response or reaction to, to something. I think in everyday life when, when we see something and it makes you say, oh wow, oh wow, that's so beautiful. Oh wow, that's amazing. Oh wow, that, that is so wonderful. That is a form of doxology. You're responding to something and you're giving praise. You're giving glory. And so if you think about it, Good theology, good theology should produce good doxology. Behind good doxology is good theology. Okay, good worship is driven by good theology. Now, I won't open this can of worms, but sadly, bad theology can produce bad worship songs. Sometimes there's a mixture. You're singing and then you're like, wait, what? What am I singing right now? Is this... Does this make sense or what's going on here? It may or may not be. I don't know. Again, we won't open that that can of worms, but good doctrine shapes good doxology. Doctrine leads to theology or doctrine leads to doxology. And so as we as we study and and we pray, you know, as we study Father, Son and Holy Spirit, as we get closer to God in relationship. If, it, if it's leading you into this dry, very technical, boring, cold type of response and reaction, let that be like a little flag for you. Perhaps you're doing it wrong. Because as we get close to somebody, as we, as we get close to God, that's going to spill out into worship. And a mark of good theology is one that holds the gospel of Christ at its center. Deeper growth in the gospel. It warms us up. It, it fires us up into deeper expressions of, of worship. And a biblical example of, of doxology is found at the end of Romans chapter 11. Thank you, Deb, for just reading that a couple moments ago. In the letter to the Roman Christians... Paul has carefully written about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's writing about sin and righteousness and covenant justice and salvation by faith alone. You know, Paul has organized his thoughts and he's thought through the gospel and there's different angles of doctrine and theology here. But then we get to the end of chapter 11 and then Paul just bursts out in spontaneous worship. Let me read it again here. Oh, Oh, wow, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor, who has ever given to God that God should repay them for from him and through him and for him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. God gets the glory. Amen. But why? How did Paul get here? How did Paul get there? So let's explore this morning what led Paul 
to say such a thing. Okay? And what we're going to do today, and, and I wasn't necessarily planning on, on doing this. God, God took a, uh, God just took me down a, a rabbit trail. And I don't know if it was for me. I don't know who this is for. Hopefully it's for all of us here today. But God just gave me like this. This is the way that this message needs to go. Can't really explain it other than it's just like this intuition. Like you just have this drive. You're like this. This is how this sermon has to go. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to do a flyover of Romans. Like if we're in a helicopter, an airplane, we're going to we're going to fly over the first 11 chapters of of Romans. We're going to explore this doctrine and theology that leads to the spontaneous doxology there at the end of chapter 11. If you know the book of Romans, that's not the end because then Paul goes on and he talks about, you know, practical Christian living and starting in Romans chapter 12 to 16 and, and so forth. Like Paul's not done. But right there, he pauses in worship. So let's take a look. Let's do a flyover of the book of Romans. Going all the way back to the beginning, the letter begins with Paul, and he identifies himself as a servant and representative of Jesus Christ. Paul reveals that he's set apart, personally set apart for God's gospel or good news. And Paul says, you see, in the old scriptures... In Paul's Bible, his, you know, we call it the Old Testament, right? Long ago, God made this promise about the good news of Jesus. And Paul says that bi- biologically, Jesus is from the royal line of King David. That's important, but for another time. On the divine side of things, Jesus is the Son of God, Son of the Father. Jesus was powerfully proven to be God's Son. When he was resurrected from the dead. And it's this resurrected Jesus who radically encountered and called and sent Paul out to this non-Jewish world, the Gentile world. Jesus said to Paul, take my message to the nations. And Paul, at this point in his career, he really wants to visit Rome. I want to visit Rome someday too, right? Just side side note, Paul wants to visit Rome, but for now, a letter will do. So Paul, he is eager to preach the gospel there. He's he's itching. To, he just he wants he wants to preach the gospel so bad. But for now, a letter will do. Paul wants to preach the gospel because he believes that the gospel is God's power that brings salvation. You see, when we preach Christ, when we preach Christ crucified, Christ the risen Lord, when, when people believe in this, something happens. It's like the new world that started on Easter morning actually happens in the mind and heart of, of the new believer. This saving essence makes itself home, at home, inside the person. Salvation is for everyone who believes, and it's, it's amazing, like Lives actually change when they they believe in this news about Jesus. It's God's power that brings about salvation. And Paul says that this message of life-changing power, it also reveals God's righteousness. Romans 1.17. Now, what does that mean? What's, what's, What's the righteousness of God? Well, righteousness 
is closely related to the Hebrew concept of justice. They have the same root word. And so if you unwrap the gospel, you'll find God's faithfulness. Wow, God is so faithful. You'll find God's faithful righteousness. You'll find God's faithful justice, God's covenant justice on the inside. Justice is not about getting even, but it's about setting things right. If the whole world is spoiled due to sin, God's justice is about putting the world back together. And this is good news because we know there's something wrong with the world. God's faithful to put the world back together again. How is God going to do this? Okay, well, God is a really big fan of working through humans. In Genesis, we find that out in Genesis 1 and 2. We're, we're the image bearers. We're, we're like these middle managers. We, we, are, um, we are here to steward the earth. God's working with us and through us, right? We, we get to Genesis chapter 12, 11, 11. Yeah, 12, 11 through 17, something, something right there in Genesis. We meet Abraham and his family. God enters into a covenant, an agreement, and an arrangement with Abraham and his family. And it's through this family, God is going to work through this family to put the world back together. And that, that's why we have the, the Old Testament, right? This family is chosen to get the human project back on track. Israel is to show the rest how to live. This, they are introducing Yahweh back to the world. They are called to keep the covenant, Genesis 17, verse 9. We find out way later, skipping a lot of information here, Jesus is the one who keeps the covenant. Jesus is able to fulfill it. And it's through Jesus his birth, his ministry, his, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, someday his second coming. This is how God is going to put the world back together. Romans 1.17, Paul says, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is being revealed. God is faithfully committed to restoring his good world. And that includes you. Putting people back together, it shows up in acts of faith which confirms what the Bible has been saying for a long time, over and over again, the righteous shall live by faith. This type of message is, a, you guys are just taking this in today. I, I understand that. I don't have much notes for you. I don't have many slides. So thank you. Just keep on listening here. Okay, why does the world need justice? Okay, why does the world need to be put back together? Well, Paul goes on to focus on humanity. And he, he's, talk, he's talking about us. Humanity is rotten with sin and idolatry. Both Jew and Gentile alike. We, we can't get away from it. Okay? We are all experts here in this room. We are all experts in the human condition. Like We know how messed up our thoughts are. We know what we've done in the past. Like We know how messed up we are. Humans have darkened minds and darkened behaviors, and we're filled with all kinds of wicked mindsets and actions, and, and it, it is such a big problem. We are such a big problem. But the good news is, in God's kindness, in God's love, God isn't going to give up on humanity. 
And so God takes sin and human rebellion very seriously. Sin does need to be dealt with. Okay? Sin does need to be judged. And there will be a future judgment day. Romans 2, 5-11. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Something happened on Good Friday. Something happened on the cross. A verdict upon sinful humanity was made. God graciously gave Jesus sacrificially, and his lifeblood covers and clears the world of sin. And so God reveals his love for us. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, Romans 5, 8. And for those who have faith in Jesus, they are declared to be in the right. Okay, there are many takeaways from all of this gospel talk, what, what Paul's fleshing out. But the point that I want to focus on right now is this. You don't need to wait until judgment day to find out what the verdict is for you. You don't need to wait until this future judgment day. You can believe in Jesus today. And God says, you will be declared right. You are declared right. You're counted as a member of the covenant faith family. So listen to this. The heart of the gospel is justification by faith. Being declared to be in the right. And it's by faith. You believe in Jesus. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and we can rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. Romans 5. And what this ends up looking like, sometimes we compartmentalize, it's individual, it's, it's private, but, but it, what it looks like, though, it is a... This faith and this peace and this rejoicing, it is a bunch of people from all over the place, a bunch of different backgrounds. Uh, This big faith family is made up of people from all over the world. Abraham really is the father of, of many. But the centering characteristic... that that to, to be a member of the covenant faith family. It's faith in Jesus. He's Lord, and God raised him from the dead. Believe this. Romans 4, 24 to 25. Okay, so in this flyover of of Rome, uh, Romans, you'd think we would soon be done, right? The first four chapters of Romans are amazing. But Paul... He does like a barrel roll 180, and he goes back to the beginning. He actually goes back to Adam. Remember, humans have this vocation of reflecting God in this world. Adam sinned, and that's that's why there's like sin, death, and evil. There, there's just a bunch of bad things now in this world. And you know, Adam, Adam brought this into the world. But now Jesus, Jesus is the new Adam. And as we believe into, as we believe in Jesus, Jesus not only releases us from the trap of sin and, and death, but we also get to reign in life. Romans five seventeen, that that word reign that Paul uses there in Romans five verse seventeen, it's it's what we what we were made to do. 
We are royal stewards. Okay, back in the garden, uh, go out and cultivate and, and fill the earth and multiply and, and represent. That, be an image bearer of God. Okay, in Jesus, we get to reign in life again. And this makes sense because if God is putting the world back together, he's going to need remade humans. He's going to need restored image bearers. And the way that Paul puts it is that when we identify with Christ, it's like we die with Christ, but then we've been raised with Christ and we're set free from sin. And you can read about that in Romans 6. In Jesus, our old humanity passes away and our new humanity comes. And this is what baptism symbolizes. We're buried with Jesus and we're raised with Jesus. We used to be slaves to sin We just worked so hard for sin. The pension plan is just destruction and death. The wages of sin, death. But then Jesus steps in and he frees us. We're no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to God. And as remade humans, we now work to usher in our master's righteousness. We're about our master's justice. It's his righteousness, his justice. That leads to holiness, Romans 6, 19. In other words, God works in us so that he works through us to set the world right again. Grace will reign. And as we represent Jesus, God's gift to us is everlasting life in Christ Jesus, our Lord, Romans 6, 23. Keep hanging in there. Romans is a lot. I'm trying to simplify it, but it's such a good message. Okay, what was the point of the law? The law was good, but as a lot of us know, all of us know, Israel kept breaking the law. In short, no amount of rules can fix a person. We need a new heart, okay? The good news is we get that in Jesus, We get that uh, through Jesus' spirit. Believers are given God's spirit, and the spirit lives within us. The spirit gives us life, and we have resurrection life inside of us. Even though we didn't physically die yet, believing in Jesus, something happens inside of us. This new life emerges, and the spirit leads us. The spirit informs us, tells us that we are God's Children, that we're heirs. And then Paul, he says that all of creation is actually waiting for the children of God to be redeemed. All of creation is waiting for humans to be glorious stewards again. For when God's children are glorified, creation will be freed from its slavery to decay. So much more to talk about that, but we'll move on. The Spirit also helps us to pray. And this is amazing. Because Paul says, we don't know what we ought to pray for. You see, church, we're not this bubble that's like separated from the pain of the world. But we are engaged with it. And yes, we don't know what we ought to pray for. But Paul says that this spirit, the spirit that we have, it intercedes for us and, and, and groans. 
Like, I, I don't know what that means, but there's a, there is a, a spirit that is praying. As N.T. Wright puts it, he was very helpful with this message. He calls it a prayer beyond our prayers. And the one who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit. And so as we pray, and as the spirit is there praying beyond and with us, we can trust that God is in the midst of it all. And this is one of those like somehow verses. Somehow. Somehow. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. Romans eight twenty eight, And then Paul says these magnificent words. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8 is an amazing chapter. Among many things, it's about assurance and God's love. In Christ, you are wrapped in the love of God. Now keep in mind, when Paul was writing this letter, it wasn't many years later afterwards that Emperor Nero would persecute these Christians do horrible, horrendous atrocities to them. We can't explain through all of that pain why God didn't protect them. But behind all that, we do know this. We can have faith in this. That the love of God was there. They were not separated from the love of God as some of them were turned into human torches. Paul then pivots, and then he discusses Israel. Paul makes this claim that, you know, ethnic Israel, biological descendants of Abraham, not, not every biological descendant of Abraham is automatically sharing in the calling of Abraham. That's Romans 9, 6. Paul's point is this in all of this. There's some dense portions in Romans, but Paul is saying this, that the new line of promise is actually now carried by those who have faith in Jesus. Those who follow Jesus. Everyone who calls upon Jesus will be saved. And then Paul talks about his present day Israel, first century Israel. The reason why many Israelites reject Jesus is because they would rather have their covenant fidelity 
based on their performance to the law. They misunderstand, they reject what Jesus has done for them. They don't understand this new covenant that we're going to be celebrating shortly. They don't understand what Jesus has done. They stumble over the stone set in Zion. And as complicated as things are in this text and modern day Israel and and future things that have yet to happen, we do know this. Paul says, God has not abandoned Israel. God has not rejected Israel. And to help convey this, Paul talks about God's covenant family as like an olive tree. For the Jews that reject Jesus, they are like branches who who are broken off. And then Gentile believers, these these wild olive branches, they they are the branches that are grafted in. And to, to, to simplify it here, God is the gardener and he is grafting in people of faith. And yes, it's, it's complicated. It's complicated. But for now, just like with a lot of uh, um, agricultural metaphors in the Bible, we can, we can take this, this away with us today. If you remain connected by faith to the stock, you will bear fruit. Romans is intense. Much has been skipped over and and oversimplified here. But finally, we arrive at the end of Romans chapter 11. And Paul, our our tour guide, he gives us this sentiment. After all of this theology and, and, and doctrine, okay, Paul, who's like just so brilliant and so just so amazing. It's like Paul's just a humble foot soldier after all. He, he's like, you know what? Like, yeah, like we've, we've done all of this theology, but he kind of just like tosses up his hands. He's like, we can't really wrap our mind around God anyways. Okay, God's wisdom, God's knowledge is so far beyond us. You know, he's hashed out so much, but he just tosses up his hands and he just worships. His theology leads him into a doxology. So let's just read it again. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul uses Isaiah 40 and Job 36 for these words here. Just a humble scriptural declaration of praise. But Paul says like, oh, wow, God is so beyond our understanding. Oh, wow, we cannot fathom the mind of God. Oh, wow, God does not need a lawyer. God does not need a therapist. Oh, wow, God is never in debt. If somebody loaned something to God, then that would mean that God needed something, that God was needy. No, not our God. And so this doxology is simple. 
But of course, not everything in theology is simple. And so sometimes when when theologians and pastors and teachers, you know, we do our best to try to try to put something before you simply. But man, sometimes there's there's a lot of complex theology behind simple statements. And this doxology is theocentric. It's God centered. All creation comes from him, through him and to him are all things. So give God the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so we worship an amazing God. A big, oh wow, kind of God. And so yes, this year, 2024, let's begin our year with doxology. And may we never stop. And may our year, every morning, Afternoon, evening, every day, every week, every month, this year, may our entire year be saturated in gospel. And may our everyday life be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And so as we turn to a time of communion, we will worship our big Jesus. Our, oh wow, how amazing is this grace, Jesus. We will turn to Jesus and we will worship in a time of remembrance. We preach Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We preach him and him crucified. The crucified and risen Lord. And we take this time through a meal, which we'll get into here shortly. And we focus our mind on what happened on Good Friday. The cross is the way to God. The cross reveals the truth of who he is. And the cross gives us the life that only he can give. Let's pray.